I'm Jared. And I'm Antasia. And welcome to A Cup of Tea. Everyone's intelligence has been shaped by distinct personal experiences. If you're curious to shed light on both humanity's collective and intimate truths, then have a seat with an open mind and a full cup as we examine reality through the blurry lens of our own individual perspectives. Have a sip while we talk about Roe versus Wade. Women's rights are a fundamental issue. Right, babe? That they are. And that is exactly what we're going to be talking about today. Welcome back, Steeps, to another episode of A Cup of Tea. Today is a very, very important topic of discussion. Abortion, women's rights, healthcare, Roe versus Wade. And I'm joined to the left of me by my beautiful wonderful, almost nine-month pregnant wife, Antasia. Yes, hello. I figured I could throw my own little spin on the episode, (laughs) considering I do meet the qualifications. Of being a pregnant woman. Of being a pregnant woman. So I think I would have a little bit of hearsay Mm -hmm. on this topic. Exactly. And although we were in a position where obviously... That wasn't abortion was never an option for you was never an option for us. There are a lot of women out there that they're in a position where they need an abortion Mm -hmm. for whatever reason, whether it's medically necessary or their choice. That is exactly what we're talking about today is obviously we'll, we'll talk a little bit about what Roe versus Wade meant when it was first decided upon nearly 50 years ago. We'll talk a little bit about or I guess we'll talk extensively about what the repercussions of repealing Roe vs. Wade is, and then kind of diving into why it matters and what some of the statistics are of women who are actually getting abortions. Because I think there is a lot of misinformation and disinformation Mm -hmm. campaigns out there that are trying to smear women who get abortions as some monsters that are killing 36 week old fetuses when that's not true yeah so let's killing two months old you know two months old at this point so so let's really dive into the facts right Mm -hmm. and i'll let you kind of lead off with maybe before we end this episode like what are some of your initial thoughts that you want to convey on this podcast i think it's important to note why roe v wade is where it is how it came to be what it was originally for. And then I think it's really important to just really break down that misinformation because it's a lot of fear mongering and scare Mm -hmm. tactics and using these big loaded words for people who are uneducated and choose not to educate themselves. And we hear terms like murder and big, you know, big scary words that can intimidate those who could possibly be in the position where they would need an abortion. And it kind of gives people the power to kind of hold that over your head and just a lot of the hypocrisy behind it too, especially in modern months. Um, I think it's really important to just kind of navigate that and just kind of shed some non-biased light and just some some true definitions and some true statistics. And then you make with that information what you will. Right. And I understand that, and we, we both understand this is a highly politicized issue. And I'm sure, I guarantee you, Steve, so there will be people that will listen to this podcast and think, This is just a left-wing point of view. But we're really trying to look at this through the most subjective lens. You you know, Steeps, whenever I try to get factual evidence to back up 
my claims in this podcast, I always try to find the most independent sources. And, you know, just like, like what my wife said, just look at that data and, and do what you will with it. Because, you know, of course we have a stance on it. Of course, not everyone is going to agree, but we're going to try to put together a very compelling argument based on the facts that are out there. Exactly. Not here to persuade you, just here to educate you. Exactly. And and you do it that way you will, but but we think it makes a compelling argument um, one way, but just it, it is really just trying to shed light on the situation because a lot of people might be misinformed and might, might not truly understand the gravity of what this means. Mm-hmm. So to start with that, let's look at an article from brookings.edu and this title is what happens after roe v wade and i really wanted to highlight this article because it goes into some of the repercussions of well what would happen if there was a ban on abortion if roe v wade was overturned right so looking at this there's a couple of initial points I want to make. So first of all, the states that are seeking to ban abortion, they're usually doing either like a six week ban or a 15 week ban. Both are very early. Obviously the 15 week ban, a lot more permissible than the six week ban, a lot more realistic. Cause it's mm-hmm. like the 15 week ban is at least within the first trimester. We'll get into it later about how that tends to be when most women get their abortions anyways, but a six week ban, I mean, Babe, like most women don't even know they're pregnant until like around six weeks. Around six weeks. You might catch it after. Yeah, because just how, again, the menstrual cycle works, it's kind of like a four week, every four week thing. Once a month, you know, the general knowledge. Mm -hmm. And so most women have fluctuations in their cycle. Um, Generally, your cycle can last from like 24 to something like 32 days. It just depends. And so if you have a longer cycle, you may not even notice your period's late by the Mm -hmm. time you're into the end of your fifth week, because that just may be, you might be in that normal fluctuation. It happens to almost every woman and that's that's deemed regular. So by the time you're at the, you're in your fifth, fifth and a half week, you're like, oh my goodness, I haven't had my period yet. Let me go take a test. If you know, you were engaging in activity where you could possibly be pregnant. You take the test, it's positive. So now you call you call your doctor's office, you call a doctor's office, hey, I got a positive pregnancy, te- pregnancy mm-hmm. test, what's next? Generally, the doctor will usually, usually not get you in until you're about seven to eight weeks along so they can actually try to get a good heartbeat going. So right. again, you've already passed that window by the time <laughs> you've already found out. If you choose to wait a day or two and take another test after the initial one, you're already past the six-week window. So we can see how this can become very problematic right. when you generally, you just generally don't know. And a lot of people may think that, how could you not know? But until you are someone who has a menstrual cycle, you will, <laughs> you, you will never know what we mean by what we mean by that. Exactly. And I think you hit the nail on the head for someone that has a menstrual cycle, like because there are men out there that are trying to make laws about women's bodies without actually really understanding or appreciating what that means. And I think this is a clear cut example of that like who, who arbitrarily made up six, a six week ban or even a 15 week ban? Like, was there any scientific evidence that backed this in support of this? Did they actually look into why is this necessary? Did they even look at, you know, 
let, let's be honest, like there's a lot of religious backing to mm-hmm. abortion bans. Was this substantiated even in their religion? Was this substantiated by science? The answer, the resounding answer from what I've seen has been no, that these are just arbitrary numbers that have been thrown out there. And the 15 the week one, it's like, okay, that, that's a little extreme, but then the six week ban is like just completely irrational in my opinion, because you have no time to decide. You might even miss it. Like you said, by the time you take a test and get in your doctor's office, you're already breaking the law because you're already past you're that six-week mark. You're already six weeks. And the wild thing is that your cycle, the six-week ban, the six-week makes it seem as if you know you're pregnant from day one of your cycle. Day one of your cycle is when you start to ovulate. You're not even pregnant then. You're not even, you haven't even released the mm-hmm. egg yet. Right. So and some women might not even pick up a positive at that point, right? No, it's it's possible. It's possible. And so, again, six weeks makes it seem like, oh, my gosh, I've been pregnant for six whole weeks. Mm-hmm. When in reality, you can have been pregnant for seven days or less. Yeah. And depending on how much progesterone you put out in HCG, you may not be able to get that stick to read positive. It's some, some women, it takes weeks for that test to come positive. So, again, the six-week arbitrary number you can definitely tell was chosen mm-hmm. by a man mm-hmm. who has never had a menstrual cycle. And, and for those, yes, and for those steeps that are out there probably wondering, like, why are you calling a 15-week ban extreme when you claim that most pregnancies that in an abortion happen within the first trimester, which is within 13 weeks, I will second you that these 15-week bans are pretty much like like no exceptions mm-hmm. for, for rape, for cases where the mother has distress or has some literal medical reason to get an abortion because it is literally killing her or affecting her health. Like some of these bans are so extreme that they're not taking those factors into account. So yes, even a 15 week ban is extreme because at the end of the day, what matters most is women's health and women's right to healthcare and right to privacy to make these decisions without having their bodies governed by other people. And I think that's what's important to highlight here is that that's why, granted, I would take a 15-week ban over a six-week ban if I was in that position. It it still is not right, in my opinion, either way. But Mm -hmm. I I think we did a good job at least highlighting some of the differences there. Mm -hmm. Wouldn't you agree with that? Like, at least over 15 weeks, like, there are the cases where a woman legitimately needs an abortion and it's like you're not able to get one in some of these extreme circumstances if, if some of these laws are enacted and oh, the ones that sure. already have been enacted. Yeah, there's cases of rape, incest, there's ectopic pregnancies, and there's just miscarriages. So and some by around 15 weeks, sometimes you may need an actual intervention, a procedure to remove said dead tissue from the uterus. So instead of just kind of looking at this from one lens, we need to break it down. But I think people find discomfort in talking about rape and incest cases, um, mostly when it comes to young girls, because it happens. It happens. Let's not sugarcoat it. Let's not pretend like this, you know, these are 25 year old women walking around getting 15 week abortions. No, these we're talking about girls let like, you know, 13 or less who can menstruate, thus they can become pregnant. And when it comes to incest from a male in the family or rape, whatever the case may be, you can imagine she's not going to know what's going on with her body. 
Two, if it's a direct family member, who is she going to tell? How is she going to take a test? She's probably not going to know she's actually pregnant until she starts feeling some sort of way in her body, feeling sick, or maybe mm -hmm. feeling, okay, things are kind of weird, or maybe mom catches on to something, she tells the teacher. So again, this is where that bodily autonomy is extremely necessary and the right to privacy because again, we, a 13 year old girl getting pregnant, what is she supposed to do? Is she supposed mm -hmm. to deliver the baby when her body's not even physically apt to deliver the baby? Her pelvis is not going to spread as an older woman's to safely deliver a child. So that's why we need these laws, regardless of how you feel about the contents on the inside of the uterus. If the person carrying the contents of the uterus dies, what good is she? Right. The fetus would die too. Exactly. So and, and I just want to say that that is such a beautiful point that you illustrated, because even I didn't think about that. Like, in terms of the 15-week ban, like you said, there are girls who can get pregnant in very specific situations, and they literally either they don't have access to the resources to figure out that they're pregnant, or they, they just don't know that those resources are available to them, or they don't want to take a test because again, they don't want somebody to know or they don't want to disclose the situation. And now mm -hmm. by the time they figure it out, they're past 15 weeks. So what are they supposed to do? Mm -hmm. What if they healthfully cannot carry that pregnancy to the end? Are they supposed to die? Like, I think these are legitimate ethical questions that we need to ponder. And that's the problem I have with a lot of these people clamoring for abortion bans. Like, we don't even look at, again, we don't look at the science of it. Mm -hmm. We don't look at the ethical context of it. This is such a bigger problem than just what your opinion is. And again, I'm not even exactly. going to say it's, I'm not even going to say it's a religious argument because show me one text from any religious book that is just outright banning abortion. Mm -hmm. Like I don't, like in the context of the law, like there's nothing that is illustrating like this should be completely outlawed. In, in every circumstance beyond a certain point. And I mean, the thing is like the six week ban is even a joke. Like at that point, you might as well just do an outright ban like some states are proposing, right? Yeah, there's some up at conception. Again, extremely arbitrary because most times not even your OB will know when you conceived. You won't even know when you conceived. Exactly. <laughs> Hence why dates for giving birth are just so off. And so again, and. I don't know how someone's supposed to tell me when I conceived, but again, it's it's crazy out here. So it's it's not that <laughs> wild of an idea, but right. Well, and there's also these laws known as trigger laws, which are on the books too. These are laws that would outright ban abortion from conception if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So, moving on on this resource that I will have linked in the description. I would like all of you steeps to check out this map from Pew Charitable Trusts. And this is a map that depicts the legal status of abortion if Roe v. Wade is overturned. So the states in red are certain to ban abortion in some degree, to some degree. The states in yellow are likely to ban abortion to some degree. The teal states are where law slash constitution protects abortion rights and gray states are not expected to ban abortion within a year. So looking at this map, I, I'm noticing hmm, 
it's it's quite a trend here there's a little trend especially in the red states and the blue states mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah i'm noticing the 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 blue teal states are pretty much the west coast the northeast and just illinois because illinois just is just this random she's just there yeah you know. it's just a random point in the middle of the country that just happens to to lean on on the liberal side of issues and hawaii because we love her and and hawaii well hawaii i think is a given here uh, and that's not to mention that some of these states in gray they're not necessarily going to ban abortion they tend to be states that some of these actually tend to lean on the left side but they're just not 100 percent safe states like california new york illinois that those type of states states in yellow tend to be states that are on the fence I think you, but, but, but again, this map isn't even indicative of the current political climate in a lot of states, because look at a state like Arizona, it's a state in red mm -hmm. because we already have a law here in Arizona on the books about abortion. And you might look at it and say like, well, why is that? Because like Arizona's turning purple, like they're voting more and more democratic in each election. Well, that's for Congress, like federal Congress, mm -hmm. right? Like our state legislature is actually very Republican. Mm -hmm. And that is why it's been really easy for them to pass some of these sweeping laws. And we have a Republican governor. Yep. So until that changes, you're definitely looking at, at strict bans and abortion. And the thing is, it, it's really sad to see that a lot of these bans are strictly on party lines. Like you see, Democrats want to protect abortion at all costs no considerations republicans want to ban abortion at all costs no considerations there's no there is no negotiating there is no scientific evidence going into this there's no ethical considerations it's just party lines yep. whoever controls the state controls abortion rights and that's what i fear is going to happen seeps if roe v wade is overturned because what what that would mean is that basically what whatever party controls the states pretty much makes the rules on abortion Pretty much. And that's where voting is going to be so important. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And just to provide some additional context, of course, I mean, Roe v. Wade, it was a decision by the Supreme Court back in 1973 that essentially not only granted women the right to an abortion, but it, it, it granted women and essentially everybody right to privacy on healthcare decisions. Like, mm -hmm. Nobody can police what you do, like with your body in terms of making a healthcare choice, like going to get an abortion. Like nobody needs to know that you're going to get an abortion. Mm -hmm. Nobody can tell you that you can't. Just like let's look at in the context of COVID nineteen. You know, we had a lot of people on the right that were complaining about mask wearing and vaccines. While masks were mandated, nobody was mandating vaccines at the public level, mm -hmm. right? Like nobody was saying that. Like you had to go get vaccinated. So again, it's it's a similar type of thing. Like when you're like nobody nobody should be able to to tell you hundred percent like what what your healthcare decisions should be, right? right? And if that's an argument that one side's making in one context, why is that same argument not being made in another context? That's what I'm trying to say. I will be completely fair and independent there. Yeah, hence the hypocrisy that I mentioned beforehand, because like you said, when it came down to the COVID vaccine. And once it became kind of publicly available, there were people who just were ignorantly claiming, you know, you can't ask me if I'm vaccinated, it's against my HIPAA. <laughs> Not using that term correctly, because there's two HIPAAs. 
PPA and PAA. And there are hippos too. And hippo laws and, and everything hippopotamuses else. So, you know, they're screaming. <laughs> the restaurant has, hey, do you have your you know, COVID vaccine? You can't ask me that. That's against my hippo rights. Well, it's not. And again, if you're uncomfortable with someone at just asking you to show proof of a vaccination to enter an establishment mm-hmm. during a global health crisis, but you're the same person screaming that a woman doesn't get to do, choose what she gets to do with her own body because there's said other body inside of her. Exactly. Do we do we see where that it, it's hypocrisy. where the hypocrisy lies? So it's my body, my choice until it's someone else's body. Yeah. Then it's your choice to tell her what to do. Exactly. And the thing is, as we just illustrated, at a public level, not a private level, but a, at a public level. You have just as much of a right to choose to get a vaccine or to choose not to get a vaccine as a woman has to choose to get an abortion or choose to not get an abortion. At a private level, this is where people get confused. At a private level, businesses can Mm -hmm. mandate that somebody is vaccinated either to work in an establishment, to enter an establishment. Businesses make decisions like that all the time. Mm -hmm. I know we're kind of going on a bit of a tangent here, but did we all learn about no shirt, no shoes, no service growing up, private businesses can make that kind of determination. Exactly. So, but in the context of the public lens, people have have just as much of a right to make any healthcare decision for themselves. And nobody should should have to know about what decision you're making, like with abortion. Exactly. I agree. And we have those who still stand on their stance of they're so proud that they didn't get the vaccine or they didn't want to get it. But again, say it out loud slowly. You didn't get the vaccine because you had a choice not to. Exactly. So taking away the choice of a woman to not have an abortion, regardless of what you feel about it, it's not at the end of the day, it's not right. And that's Mm -hmm. that's not an opinion. It's not. It's not an opinion because I feel like it, if everybody is entitled to self-determination in healthcare, in the right to healthcare, that should not be an argument. No. Right? But yeah, I mean, looking at this map, I think that there's just a lot to be extrapolated here, right? Like there's a clear divide in our country based on politics, sadly, to determine where you can and cannot get an abortion. And what I also want to call out here is that just as there are movements to ban abortion in certain states, there's actually movements motioning happening in states that are guaranteeing the right to abortion. There are motions to actually improve their capacity to handle abortions because they understand that there is going to become an abortion economy Mm -hmm. where women seeking abortions are just going to go travel to states where abortions are allowed. So what these states need to do is they need to upskill. They need to train their workforce in in the healthcare community. They need to build out the required infrastructure in terms of clinics to get abortions and other, you know, equipment and things that are needed, resources to be able to do that and also codifying those protections into the state law, into the state constitution to preserve the right to abortions. So it's funny how certain states are going through so much trouble to ban abortion, but at the end of the day, women are still going to have the ability to go get them somewhere else. Most women. Most women, yes. And so when it comes down to banning abortions in reality you're not banning abortions you're just banning 
the access to them. You're making it harder. You're making it harder. And, you know, frankly, abortions aren't the things that we need to be making harder to get right now. <laughs> Gun laws. But, <laughs> but yeah, we're just, we're making them, you're just making it harder for women to go get them, but they will, they will get done. Because if a woman does not want to have a child, she's not going to have one. And we hear the term, you know, coat hanger abortions in back alley. And that's what they used to be. Because women still did them. Women still did them. But now, but when Roe v. Wade was put into place, there was safe, clean places to have those done. And so I'm glad that there are programs in place or becoming put in place to where women can still have that safe haven. It's going to be, if it's overturned, it's going to be heavily guarded mm -hmm. but when there's a will there's a way and there's always an underground market for something so. right yeah and i i think the next thing we need to talk about in the context of being able to get abortions is that it will create inequity it will create a wealth gap because low-income younger and less educated women will be affected the most by this because mm -hmm. they are the ones that will have the least knowledge about where to get an abortion and the least amount of resources to actually go get an abortion, the time to take off of work, the money to take the trip, the car to take the trip, the plane ticket that they would need to buy to take the trip. All of these factors feed into just creating this divide because there are going to be rich women or middle-class women that are still easily going to be able to obtain mm -hmm. abortions whenever they want, if they need it. But these women, Basically, women who are in these lower income areas that are younger, that happen to also will more than likely be of a minority ethnicity, they will lack that access. And that is not fair. It's not. That's just what it boils down to. It's not fair. And as many of, you know, free programs we can provide, again, when those programs aren't being funded, it won't be free. And so a lot of lower income, poor minority women aren't going to be able to shovel out $500 plus to get an abortion. And so mm -hmm. now it's like, what do I do? What do I do? Right. It's just, it, it's really sad to me because I feel like we also see a lot of people in the world that they love to blame minorities for their own problems. And I'll be honest, I used to be one of those people growing up in a conservative household that just thought their problems are their problems and my problems are my problems. But you know what? When I grew up and I, I got my college education, and I learned more about the world. I I really started to see the big picture and realized, well, well, hang on. Like there are communities being subjugated systemically, mm -hmm. right? Like there are literally barriers and obstacles being put into place that are keeping minority communities down in low income areas, right? So again, we understand that not all minorities are low income, mm -hmm. but there are very specific communities that they're keeping down. Has anyone ever asked themselves why Guadalupe Road doesn't have an exit on Interstate 10 that lives in Phoenix? Has anyone asked that question? But Guadalupe Road has an exit on every other freeway it intersects with. <laughs> mic drop. Also, another mic drop. Have you ever noticed where a lot of interstate highways run through in the hearts of cities in pretty much just about every corner of the United States? Pretty much look up what communities they pass through. Yep. And be amazed when you find out that 
virtually all of these inner city highways have carved right through the heart of historically minority communities. And it's, it's very destructive. And we're going to see the same thing here where it's like by passing such legislation, we are keeping these people down. We're not letting them rise up and make themselves better. They're just going to be having children that they don't want, mm -hmm. that they don't need. And at the same time, that is going to negatively affect those households, keeping them down further and further, bringing more children into poverty, putting more kids in the foster care system. It's just, it's really messed up. And I just really want people to understand what the domino effect is here. Mm -hmm. Let's stop thinking about abortion separately here. Let's stop isolating this as some pure concept that we're not gonna kill babies when, when they're not babies, they're fetuses and look at all these effects that you're having mm -hmm. and, and look at the effects that you're having on especially younger women that are not in positions where they had golden spoons in their mouths. That's all I'm going to say. Exactly. And it's a perpetuating cycle because like you said, you force these already low income, you know, women and families to have these children that they don't want. And then they can't even walk into their local WIC office and get funding to take care of these children that they didn't ask for. Because yeah. shockingly, the funding for that program has been cut. And who is typically the group that tends to cut that type of funding? Uh, conservatives, or they vote against it because they want to take the money and put it elsewhere, like into the military. So again, let's also stop this self-perpetuating cycle that low-income minority families have just a bunch of children just so they can live off the system, mm -hmm. um, when that's not true because the system half the time doesn't cater to them because there's no money in the system and mm -hmm. the just unfortunate souls who have nothing to do else better with their life than to sit outside of a clinic pass out these pamphlets like oh my gosh here's your local WIC pamphlet or here's a pamphlet for the women's right. children's shelter and everything all the other bs they try to feed you when all of those programs are continuously being cut and they tell you the whole like just oh here's an adoption pamphlet or I'll take that baby when they know for damn sure that's not that's not going to be the case. And so that's also something I have a problem with is you're sticking your nose into a problem and not offering an actual solution. Exactly. That is a central point that I'm trying to drive home here is that we try to remain at least factually as independent as possible in this podcast. However, Steeps, it really is a matter of self-reflection in politics and anything in life there can absolutely be a wrong side. Like, I think one thing that also bothers me and it bothers you too is that, sure, there are some things in politics that it's like more opinionated. It might be a both sides issue. This is not one of those issues. This mm -hmm. is absolutely not a both sides issue. This is one side blindly telling the other what they need to do and the other side advocating for legitimate human rights. I agree, exactly, because the thing is, the other side, all of the rationale that the other side tends to give is inconclusive. None mm -hmm. of the if, ands, or buts make sense. There is no, almost zero factual evidence to really support their pro side. And all roads lead to nothing. Every mm -hmm. alternative that they've given has either been shot down or we've proven that they the funding has been stripped for that or it's just not practical. And a key example being, again, people who are pro-life, who scream and shout from the top of their lungs, adopt, 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 put the baby up for adoption, and then you ask them how many children they've adopted, 
silence, crickets. So it's things, it's things like that, that that's where the problem is because you're not practicing what you preach. And like I just said, you're sticking your nose into a problem that's not yours, will never be yours and offering no solution. Right. So that's how we know this is a one-sided issue only and you can mm-hmm. be on the wrong side. Yeah. And here's the thing. I don't think that somebody needs to necessarily adopt to advocate for adoption, but at the same time, like we know that that's an issue. The the foster care system is overrun. Yes. Kids aren't being adopted at the rate that they need to. So it's like unless you have a solution there, it, it pretty much it's either you adopt or you you find a way to make the system better. But as a whole, not even as an individual, but as a whole, these solutions are not cohesive. They're not actually proposing anything to make this problem any better. Like they're like you said, it's all dead ends, right? So, you know, yeah, the party of pro life, but let's a bunch of kids get gunned down by an AR-15. Yeah, pro-life, but you so, know, once you have the baby, okay, see ya. Sorry, you can't afford it. Too bad. Party of pro-life, but hey, there's a formula shortage. But go keep having babies. Oh, yep. hey, oh, you can't feed them. Too bad. Yeah, too bad. That's pa- your you know, fault. Pro-life party. Just put them in. The, just someone's gonna take them. Just put them up for adoption. But then yet we let people pick and choose babies like puppies from litters mm-hmm. because the pro-lifers love to utilize, oh my gosh, there's X, Y, and Z, you know, amounts of families on the adoption list. But let's cross-reference that with the foster kids list, even just state to state. How many people are lining up outside the foster office ready to adopt three, four, five-year-olds who've been in tumultuous homes or, you know, 10, 11, 12-year-olds who get beat by their parents because they weren't wanted. But no, we want the pristine, healthy babies who didn't come from drug-ridden homes or who didn't come from abusive homes Mm -hmm. that we can shape and mold them to wherever we want. We want the token, you know, baby from Tokyo who, you know, is birthed right fresh into our arms. So let's not play, let's not dangle the adoption card because we can break that down and we can get crickets from that. Because again, most people who are outside screaming adoption, adoption outside the clinic have not adopted any children. Right. So I mean, we could do a whole episode on adoption and statistics there. That would be a, a, a really good episode. Yeah. So my, unless you're going to put up or shut up, you don't you don't get to make that choice for somebody else. And us who can give birth, we're not your incubators. It's not mm-hmm. our job to give you a baby because you can't have one. That's also something I'm seeing a problem with and have a huge issue with because it's disgusting. We're not baby mills. Like, just because I can have a baby and you can't doesn't mean I'm going to have one for you. That's not my issue. Yeah, I I completely agree. I think just I know it's something that grinds your gears, but we need to propose like, here's my thing. I know this may come off. This whole podcast may be coming off as a roast of the right. However, I would respect if a conservative could come forward, bring factual evidence mm-hmm. to support their ban ethical support as to why it is not unethical and why it's not a violation of human rights while at the same time proposing ways to mitigate this issue Mm -hmm. that are legitimate and will actually work that will actually help allocate the funding necessary to support such programs in that case look i've said this to you babe i i am actually I, I know I'm a man. I know I'm a man, but I'm saying I would be more comfortable with a conservative approaching this abortion ban if it made sense, if it actually was something that women could agree with, mm-hmm. right? 
or if it's something where it's like, hey, women, you know, after a certain point, you shouldn't be allowed to get an abortion. But at the same time, hey, men, you should also be entitled to this child. You you cannot just walk out on this woman. You you owe her child support if you leave. Like something where it's like, why why are if the if the woman has to bear the burden of a child, that's completely fair. But then why is the man not also tied to this child? Like that's not fair. That's where it becomes unfair is that you're holding women to one standard. Okay, you want to ban abortion after 15 weeks or whatever. It's like, okay. But then men don't have to deal with that same standard? Like what's wrong with that? You know, like it, it's something where it's like, they're not even proposing anything that makes sense. And that's where I'm like, bring a compelling argument for why this matters and how it's fair and equitable and ethical. And then maybe we can have a conversation. Because there's two things in common with this. They both start with the letter M. Men <laughs> and misogyny. Yep. Because we have men making these rules who are not educated in this subject at all, have no sort of science background, no sort of obstetrics background, gynecology background, health background. Right. Most of these men think that women menstruate and pee from the same place and... <laughs> Couldn't even can't even right. dis- define what an ectopic pregnancy is. Mm-hmm. Oh, you you could go on a whole tangent about so, that. So, because they hear that they think somehow an ectopic pregnancy can be saved when they were an ectopic in itself. It's pretty much that's it. It's not it's not viable. Right. That fetus is gone. And misogyny mm-hmm. because again, women since we physically have the burden to carry life, it's all of our responsibility. As if somehow the semen. It's just completely absolved from the situation because, yeah. you know, men can do whatever they want mm-hmm. because we all know every person on this planet, right, left, middle, square, triangle, <laughs> knows that if men were to be pregnant, this would not be an issue. Oh, definitely not. So because it's women who carry the burden and we're the ones who, quote unquote, spread our legs, the, all of a sudden this is our problem. Disregarding rape and incest and everything else that can come with it. We can hold a child, so it's our responsibility alone. Which what you said is not fair. Men men get off scot free, mm-hmm. and here we are having our bodies regulated. But he, he, God forbid we ask a man to get a vasectomy. All the, right. all of a sudden, <laughs> men are just in, in awe. How dare right. you ask me to get a vasectomy? Oh my god! As if we're castrating them, because again, men don't even know how vasectomies work. A lot of men think that you chop off their testicles. A lot of it, like, it's just, it's ignorance. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It is ignorance. And so we need to educate. And then there needs to be, yeah, shared responsibility. Because it takes two people to make a baby. I don't care how you feel about it. It takes an egg and a sperm, and that will never change. And and I'm, Seeps, I am pro-choice. It is, is, I'm sure you could tell by the context of me describing this. However, I just mentioned if you're gonna ban abortion, make it fair. Make it effing fair because it's not fair the way it's currently being proposed, right? And that's what mm-hmm. we have to worry about. We, we just have to make sure that these are equitable practices that are affecting both parents. I mean, male birth control has stalled for decades. Yes. I wonder why. I wonder why, because men don't wanna feel the side effects or it makes them feel less masculine. Meanwhile, women who get birth control, like inter- interuterine devices, we're not even anesthetized 
And, and and that hurts. It hurts. Right? It hurts. If you've ever seen even a video of just a little generic videos of how an IUD is inserted, there's men I've seen, watched watch video. There's men who have watched the videos and become nauseated at the process. But we don't get offered any sort of pain relief. No, we just we just lay there on the table and we do it. And so again. Women have to bear the burden of everything. We're the ones who have to take birth control and jack up our bodies. Also, we don't get pregnant. Meanwhile, the most we ask men to do is what, put a condom on sometimes. And even that's a whole baby whining debate. <laughs> so it's just like, we can't win at all. And the thing is, you're literally about to give birth in weeks. And I have volunteered as a man to get a vasectomy because we don't want any more kids after this. No. And the thing is, I'm like, men out there who are listening to this podcast that are in a relationship and are done having kids or if you don't want any kids, just get a vasectomy. It's literally the least that you could do, especially if your wife has actually carried and given birth. It is the least that you could do. Like step up to the plate, be a man. The absolute least you can do. And yes, you have you elected to get a vasectomy. I've also currently elected to also have my tubes taken out as well, just as a double protective measure, because yeah, we're done. We're done. We don't want any more kids. Two kids. That's it. That's it. And I mm -hmm. never, emphasis on the word never, want to be pregnant again in my life. And I will not be pregnant again in my life. Take that how you want take to take it. Take that how you want to take it. But that is it. This right. body is done. The mm -hmm. factory is closed. Because it is brutal. Mm -hmm. And I could never imagine forcing a woman to do this who doesn't want to because it wouldn't be me. Yeah, you want to both children and you're still just going through pure agony. Pure agony. This is not for the faint of heart. Hence why men don't give birth. Yep. Because we would all, we've, we've been gone a long time ago. But of course, because women, <laughs> women have to do it because someone has to do it, right? And right. it's always women. And so again, we just... That's why our backs hurt because we carry society on our back. <laughs> but um, and men men need to support more. They it's looking do. a little lopsided out here. It's looking a lot lopsided, streets. and I just I wish just from an empathetic standpoint that more men really empathize with women because I'm like if you need to sit down and watch just a hour long documentary on like the brutal reality of pregnancy or just be around a mom, a sister, a aunt, cousin, wife, and really just listen to her and feel her emotions when she, as she goes through this pregnancy, you will understand it is not for the faint of heart. And it's tough emotionally and physically. And to understand, especially when there's a woman who really wants a baby, really, really wants a baby, and she loses it. Her body can just miscarry spontaneously. They happen in so many, more pregnancies end in miscarriage than in birth. Mm -hmm. And so to think that this, this little idea that you love so much, you take a pregnancy test, it's positive, you both are so happy, you're nine, 10 weeks in, and next thing you know, it's it's dying, it, it died. Your body yeah. has chosen to reject it. There is, nothing you, there is nothing you did wrong. Our bodies are actually extremely inhospitable <laughs> to pregnancies because it's being, it seems like a foreign object inside of our uterus. And sometimes your body can reject it and or the fetus will just wouldn't be viable it wasn't going to survive it had a chromosomal abnormality whatever the case yep. may be like, do you really think women just throw themselves in line all right got an abortion appointment today at two let's go 
grab a quick drink and head down there. Like it, it doesn't yeah. happen that way. And mm-hmm. women who want to, and women who are in situations who don't even, who don't want to get an abortion, but they have to, i.e. I. an abusive relationship, or you get the news that this baby is going to be born with half a brain, one leg, they'll never speak, they'll never open their eyes. Like, is that really something you want? It's selfish, honestly. And so for a woman to have to go sign herself up for an appointment to go get that pregnancy terminated... People aren't just signing up to do that no. every week. No matter what you may have heard, that's not the truth. And why let someone live like that? Right? Exactly. And so at it could be six weeks, 16 weeks, 36 weeks. No one is signing up to just go happily get an abortion just because, especially the late term yeah. ones. Yeah. So, and, and you're absolutely right. It, it's, it's sad and emotional, even if you didn't want the baby. Yeah, it's even if you did not want the baby, ask any woman who thought they were pregnant. They're like, "Oh crap, I'm pregnant. Okay, you know this isn't gonna work. I don't want this right now because it's not good for me. Because I'm the one making the decisions for this thing inside me." They mm-hmm. go get an abortion. I highly doubt she went out to the club that night. No, nope. I highly doubt she did. She probably went home, cried her eyes out because at the end of the day, it was part of you, and now it's not. But you made the decision what's best for you because mm-hmm. that's what we do as mothers you yep. make the decisions for the baby everything i eat everything i drink choose not to eat or drink is for this child absolutely yep well in the interest of time i am going to move through the rest of the points i had here in this article so getting back to the the primary topic here of banning abortions there is in a lot of these states that are seeking to ban abortion they're proposing abortion criminalization, which would essentially make not only getting an abortion legal, but also helping someone get an abortion legal. Like in Texas, where somebody can sue somebody for being an accomplice to an abortion and literally get money from it. Like how messed up is that? That there can literally be criminal charges against somebody just for helping somebody get an abortion. That's messed up. Sounds like a case of not your business, honestly. But, you know... Right. And and we've already talked about how essentially by banning abortions in some states, we, we talked about the abortion economy, but we also need to talk about the control measures that are going to be put into place by these predominantly conservative states mm-hmm. to not only prevent women from going to get abortions, but from even knowing about the resources available to them. It's an information war, essentially, to mm-hmm. prevent women from being able to find out, okay, there's an abortion clinic I can go to in California. Let me pack my bags and go, right? So, it, and if you think about it in that context, you kind of start to see that if things really go the way that these Republicans want it to with abortion, pro-life, quote unquote, it really leads to a dystopian future where women are policed on abortion. Checkpoints at, at the state line to see where you're going. You're going to get an abortion? Are you bringing back Plan B with you? Like it's gonna be like ICE or border your patrol. Your search history but would get audited for women just traveling. Just ACE. Like, I'm just kidding. Yeah, pretty much. It's like, what are you doing? They're gonna have like ultrasound, do- like uh, baby Dopplers on them at any given moment, checking your stomach for a heartbeat and just. And again, that's all speculative, but I'm just saying, like, who's to say it wouldn't get to that point, right? Well, I, I can see it happening, especially with 
a lot of these, you know, conser- conservative Gestapo types, if, you mm-hmm. know, they feel they can get brought to power and do something like that with the power of like ICE and Border Patrol. Yeah. Like I said, Handmaid's Tale. I was just going to say. Check it out. Check it out on Hulu. It's not too far from reality. Hulu. <laughs> I know. It really isn't. It's really sad. It honestly makes you want to cry. <laughs> like we, we all joked about it years ago and now we're like, oh, well, here it is. <laughs> Praise be. I got to go get my fitting for my red outfit soon. <laughs> oh my God, shut up. Gilead's on its way. <laughs> That'd be a good Martha. I can cook. Oh my goodness. And I've had children, so I get a pass. Yeah, I, I wouldn't really have a home. <laughs> well, you'd get to be a commander. I guess I wouldn't want to be. So, and then lastly, from this article, there is a quote here I think you'd really like. In a nation where a substantial number of people revolted against mask wearing and COVID vaccines as an intrusion on their medical privacy and choice, efforts to stop abortion altogether are likely to run into a tsunami of fury. That's what I said. It's funny how the same people who screamed in the streets and screamed in the stores and spit on people and all these documented cases calling the police because someone asked them to wear a mask or just show proof of vaccination to enter the establishment because that's the private company's rules swore up and down it was their body their choice you can't tell them what to do the government cannot tell me what to do with my body all of a sudden now the government can tell her what to do with her body i can tell you just because of what you believe 45 year old you know john doe construction worker has no children no wife but i can tell you what to do with your body makes sense it's it it doesn't make any sense actually not in the slightest and that's all that's that's my thing it's like i just want to know the rationale Mm -hmm. like give me a better any better argument than just abortion is murder I need something a little bit better than that because we can present as pro-choicers a lot of different avenues as to why this is just extreme and shouldn't be the way it is and you have no right to no one else but you ask them give me Mm -hmm. something give me something and it's just abortion is murder or it's not her body anymore great that i love that one like okay so it's news to me news to me it's my uterus so mm-hmm. and it's inside of me but if it's not my body cool where is the eject button can i just take it out let it sit on the counter for like a couple days and then put it back when i'm ready or how does that work so i want to know what these people think about cancer then because cancer is technically a whole nother living thing inside someone's body right so is it their body now parasites is it, is it the cancer's body is it the parasites body? viruses like yeah what, you, you what can it, go on and on right it's a whole list of things that can get inside but no my we, body, we don't but... think about that right we we think about people fighting against cancer fighting the virus fighting the parasite but when it's a fetus it, it doesn't matter and that's the thing too it's a fetus and these people are considering the development of said fetus no because they're trying to use the emotional appeal like it's a baby it's not a baby if you look at the definition of a baby, it's actually out, born, mm-hmm. crying, eating, thriving, breathing. Right. The cluster of cells growing inside of a uterus is not a baby. It is a right. fetus. It is an embryo up until about your second middle trimester, and then it becomes a fetus. What I have inside me now is a fetus. He's not a baby. He's a fetus, not until he's born, medically. So... When we say fetus, it's we're not trying to downplay baby. That's the medical term. 
it is mm -hmm. a fetus. Yeah, because some fetuses don't make it out in the wild, so they never become babies. No, they're just fetuses. All I can say is just go check out the bodies exhibit, all right? Yeah. Just check out the bodies exhibit. Literally in any sort of diagram, when you walk into a doctor's office, it shows you all the stages of fetal development. Wow. When you curl up in a ball, you're in the fetal position. Good wow. points, good points. Not the baby position. Fetal position, yeah. wow. All right, well, I know we're getting short on time here, so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna do a rapid fire through two more sources, just because I feel like it's really good factual context to what we're discussing about, and then we'll go through our closing remarks. So the next source is Roe v. Wade and American Fertility. So in this study, this study actually was published in the National Library of Medicine, and the co-authors of this study are listed as well. There are four co-authors. Now, I wanna quote directly from the abstract here to kind of paint some picture on what banning abortion would mean, essentially. States legalizing abortion experienced a 4% decline in fertility relative to states where the legal status of abortion was unchanged. The relative reductions in births to teens Women more than 35 years of age, non-white women and unmarried women were considerably larger. If women did not travel between states to obtain an abortion, the estimated impact of abortion legalization on birth rates would be about 11%. Conclusions, a complete recriminalization of abortion nationwide could result in an additional 440,000 additional births per year. Wow. I mean, yeah. that's like almost half a million people per year. And the thing is, we're already over carrying capacity for all intents and purposes. Like, I don't think we really need more people. Like, we're below, I mean, I know we're below replacement level right now, but I mean, just think about like, is, is the United States or even the world like dying for people? No, we can't even feed the babies that are here now. <laughs> So, I mean, the thing Let's is, have more. that's just an astonishing number, like that many more births per year. And, and just think about all the families that'd be affected by that, all the women that would be affected by that. Mm -hmm. And I mean, even in the context of births, like you look at these percentages, legalizing abortion still has a small impact on the overall number of births. It's not like 50 to 70% of all babies wouldn't be ever born if you completely legalized abortion, mm -hmm. it's right here. It's like four to 11%, depending on if, if women are able to travel to other states to get abortions, right? So the fact that you're taking out 440,000 additional births per year, you still have millions mm -hmm. upon millions of babies being born per year. Like it's such a minuscule number. Like I, I'm not gonna do the math on it right now, but it, it, it's, it's, it's a lot greater than half a million, yeah. right? So there's really nil impact here. And I'll with tell you what. those numbers also come with the mortality rate for both the, the mom and the baby. Those also come into those. So this forced birth, again, mm -hmm. there's repercussions in that because not every pregnancy makes it a term. Not every mom makes it out of the birth. Not every baby makes it out of the pregnancy. So also other things to think about. Yeah, it's incredibly sad that in some of these forced birth scenarios or even normal birth scenarios, someone could go into the hospital and walk away with one birth certificate and two death certificates. Mm -hmm. 
And that's just, inc that's incredibly sad. And that that would go up more if you're forcing women uh, to have abortions, especially if it's not safe or healthy for them to carry that pregnancy. Exactly. Exactly. Because I've seen how the pro-lifers respond to that, where it's like, okay, what if this mom you're forcing to have a baby can't physically, she won't physically make it to the end. And the number one answer is we pull, they pull in religion. It God's will. So it's God's will to let her live or not. But, you know, let by all means, let's force her when she doesn't have to. She doesn't have to be in, even in that risk. But weirdly enough, it's God's will at that point. Yeah. Just to decide if she's supposed to live after being impregnated if she didn't want to be. It's God's body and the fetus's body before the woman, right? Oh, of course. As if the fetus wouldn't die without the host mother. Oh, of course. Yeah, we, we just, let's just gloss over that part. How about that? Yeah, it's their body, right? They can just get out whenever they want. Just yeah. Walk around, self-sustain. Grab a water yeah. or some milk. You know, our bodies don't produce their blood, their bones, their organs, their, no. none of that. No. No. Yeah. And it's not like everyday people have the discretion of what to consume and put in their bodies, right? No. So. Anyways. What I will conclude with here, Steeps, is the last article, and this is the one that I really think is going to hit home with a lot of these factual data points. It is from the Pew Research Center, one of my favorites, the Pew, and it's titled, What the Data Says About Abortion in the U.S. So hear me out. I'm going to quote a lot from this article. Quote, 61% of U.S. adults say abortion should be legal all or most of the time, while 37% say it should be illegal all or most of the time. That right there demonstrates at least that among the popular opinion in this country, the United States of America, abortion is more popular than pro-life. So over the years also, different institutes collect data about abortions, one of them being the CDC and the other being Guttmacher. And they collect data a little bit differently. The CDC takes absolute numbers that are reported by hospitals, clinics, and other providers, whereas Guttmacher actually does more work on the ground, a little more grassroots efforts to, you know, actually get those statistics from all of the different places where women may be getting abortions, right? So... Because of the fact that the CDC is relying on data that's reported them, whereas Guttmacher is actually going and inquiring about the data, Guttmacher tends to have higher numbers in terms of estimated abortions than the CDC. But they tend to correlate very well. For instance, in 2019, the CDC counted 629,898 abortions, whereas the Guttmacher Institute found that there were 862,320 abortions in the year 2017, around the same time. Abortions, however, I do want to know, I know that may sound like a high number, but they have been dropping steadily since a high point in 1990 when there was an estimated 1.6 million abortions in that year. And you can actually see that in this graph here. After Roe v. Wade was enacted, abortions really took off. They kind of plateaued, had their high point in 1990, and they've been steadily decreasing ever since then. So the rate of abortions as of 2017 is actually 13.5 abortions per 1,000 women. So also think about that context too. So for, for anyone out there that is proclaiming that abortions are just happening at wild rates, like it's 13.5 women getting an abortion to every 1,000 women. I mean, this is like such a small percentage that, 
I mean, you look at the math, you do the math, that's like literally 1.35% mm -hmm. of all women each year as of 2017 getting an abortion. So yeah, 600 to 800,000 may sound like a lot, but in the context of overall society in America, it really isn't. I mean, it, it really isn't. I mean, just think we, there's over 330 million people in this country. Mm -hmm. So just have to keep that in mind. Also in 2019, surgical abortions made up 56% of all abortions, whereas medication abortions made up 44%. However, as of 2020, a preliminary study from Guttmacher had data that actually has shown that medication abortions are making up the majority of abortions for the first time ever in clinical settings. Any context you want to add there? Yeah, because women are finding out sooner. And so and medication has been developed that will pretty much a lot within the very, very early, early weeks and not medications like Plan B that's meant to prevent the pregnancy. But for the medications that can discontinue or terminate the pregnancy, and there's quite a few of them, they're harder to pronounce, but you can get them prescribed from the doctor's office, like a Planned Parenthood. But those medications are meant to, yeah, you take your medication, you go home, and you pretty much will kind of self-terminate the pregnancy at home, which the job is just to empty the uterus of the content inside. Pretty much just kind of some extreme cramping just to kind of get everything out. And you take a rest, and then once everything's empty, you go back to what you were doing. So no mm -hmm. harm, no foul. And again, a lot of misconceptions. The contents that come out is not going to be a crying 38-week-old baby, quote-unquote. That gets flushed down the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> like, let's, like, TMI, but what you would see, you wouldn't be able to differentiate if you had a bloody nose and sneezed. Like, right. it doesn't. We also have to stop this misconception that these, these things look like full-blown crawling humans like you would not be able to tell what your uterus just emptied right if you're at the point of where you can take the self kind of home pill exactly yeah so the two drugs that are prescribed to perform medication abortions are and i'm sorry if i butcher this but mifepristone which suppresses pregnancy supporting hormones and then misoprostol which then empties the uterus as you said mm -hmm. another misconception is as you said Medication abortion is only approved for use until 10 weeks into the pregnancy. After that, you have to get a surgical abortion. Yes. So you would either get a procedure called dilation and evacuation, which is a DNE, or a dilation and cuterage, which is a DNC. Pretty much both very similar. It just kind of depends on the details of it. But both are also surgical procedures emptying the contents of the uterus. Right. Yeah, and surgical abortions... The, the approach can change depending on where a woman is during her pregnancy. If it's in the first trimester, they might be able to use the suction process. If it's in the later stages, they will opt for either a DNC or a DNE, right? So I think that's, you know, important to call out as well. Another striking statistic with abortion steeps, the total number of abortion providers has decreased continuously since 1982. And when we're talking about Abortion providers, we're talking physician offices, hospitals, other clinics, and abortion clinics. 
Physician offices and hospitals, strikingly, have been the most affected by this decrease. If you look at this graph here, you'll see that it continuously drops and you're seeing the hospital, the number of hospitals and physician offices supporting abortion are getting really squeezed, whereas other clinics and abortion clinics have remained relatively stable over time. Which combats the hypocrisy that pro-life side likes to use where, oh my goodness, you can, you did you know you can just walk into a hospital and get an abortion where that's absolutely not true. No. It <laughs> absolutely not it true. It literally says right here that as of 2017, you could get an abortion at only 518 hospitals. 518 hospitals. Mm -hmm. Do you realize how many hospitals there are in this country? Also, 261 physician offices. There might be 261 physician offices or more in Phoenix. Yeah. Like, let's be alone. real. <laughs> like, come on. Like, th this is just ridiculous that we're even, like, making the argument, like you said, that you could walk into a, a friggin' CVS or Walmart and, and get and an just, abortion. Yeah, go you to the back and get an abortion. You can't. <laughs> just, just FYI. It, if you actually thought that, please stop. Get some help. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Um, but yeah, no, that's, that's definitely not a thing, but it is a striking statistic to keep in mind. Also, some other statistics that I think will absolutely hit home. In 2019, most abortions were for women who had never had one before. Mm -hmm. Also, so that made up 58% of women, right? Most abortions also were for women who had already given birth, 60%. So... Contrary to popular belief, women that are getting abortions, most of them haven't had one, two, three, four more abortions. And it's not like this is their first time giving birth. Most women in that position have given birth before and have not had an abortion before. So it's a novel experience. Mm -hmm. And they went through the painful process of being pregnant and giving birth. Mm -hmm. So sorry, Janet. No, you don't know. You don't know someone who has gotten... 18 abortions or who gets three abortions a month sorry you, you don't know that person oh, just, absolutely to, not. just to let you know because i love seeing those comments i know someone who gets abortions as birth control no you don't because that's not a thing i mean that's because incredibly unrealistic because it's not true so no you don't mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah so again 58 percent of, of women who get abortions had never had one before 60 percent of women who get abortions have already given birth Another statistic from 2019, 93% of abortions occurred during the first trimester, less Shocking. than 13 weeks. Like, so again, these late, the myth of the late term abortion, right? That is a myth. Just fear mongering. It, it's not a common practice. And again, I cannot emphasize this enough. Late term abortions are not happening because a woman is electing to just <laughs> not have a Change baby anymore. Like. When, when, a, when a fetus is getting aborted at 36 weeks, it's because something is terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. And you know what's happening in that quote-unquote abortion? It's being delivered. That mm -hmm. baby is not being... They're not undergoing a DNE or a DNC at 36 weeks. They are taken to the hospital. They're put in a gown. They're giving medication. They're giving a dilation medication. And they're either giving a, getting a C-section or they're giving birth. Mm -hmm. they're, they're having to give birth to this dying or dead child. Right. No one, I'm going to say this one more time, no one can walk into a facility with a healthy pregnancy and request an abortion. 
Right. That is not, no doctor is going to perform that procedure. Even if a mom is at her wit's end, she's like, I'm going to jump off a building if you don't get the baby out of me. They will have her deliver the baby. <laughs> and then she would have to make the decision on what to do with it. Exactly. That. So I'm like, we, we have to stop perpetuating this myth that you can walk into a hospital 38 weeks pregnant and just change your mind and, okay, just go ahead and suck it out of me. That's not a thing. That's not going to happen. The right. only time where a pregnancy has to be terminated, mind you, a C-section technically is a termination of pregnancy because you are now disrupting the pregnancy, you're taking the baby out. Let's, let's learn to use our vocabulary. So, mm-hmm. again... A mom could have found out 32 weeks, your baby, your baby has was being born with half of a heart. They have encephalitis. Half their brain is caved in. They're not going to survive past 30 minutes of giving birth. Mom goes home with family, makes a tough decision. Okay, let's just go ahead and you know we could push out a few more weeks. Let's deliver at 36 weeks. You go in. They're gonna. You're gonna go through birth. You're gonna either labor. You're gonna go through contractions. You're gonna go through the whole spiel that, in a regular case, would happen. And then they're going to place that dying and or dead stillborn child in your arms. And then you go through the emotional turmoil of that. So let's talk about what really happens. And let's stop using these fake scenarios that would never, ever happen. Because that's a lot of what that side does to scare you into thinking abortion is so bad. And they use terms like murdering the baby or aborting the pregnancy when that's not the case. You're just, again, a C-section also terminates a pregnancy. And C-sections happen every day, all day. I've had a C-section. And my child is here, sleeping in her bed. So mm-hmm. let's use the right terms. Yep. Hence, we've got to combat this misinformation. Exactly. And one last fact, Steeps. About 2% of abortions involve complications for the woman. Mm-hmm. So just keep in mind that for all the people out there that think that it's a selfish decision, like how selfish... Can someone be if that decision costs them their own life? Yeah. Or that they can never have children again. They could, you could damage your uterus. You could develop scar tissue to where you, another embryo couldn't even implant mm-hmm. ever again. And so again, but we think women just want to do this willy nilly. Like, no, that lives, that lives with her forever. Yeah. Forever. And so at the end of the day, it's not this just free willy decision. Oh, because I just, I had sex and I don't want to deal with the consequences of it. So I'm just going to throw the whole thing away. A, women shouldn't be punished or criminalized for having sex. Amen. Because sex is just as warranted for her as it is for a man. Exactly. B, what she chooses to do with her own body is no one else's decision. No one else's decision but hers. Mm -hmm. And that's what this all comes down to. At the end of the day, you can argue till you're blue in the face about facts and logic in this and that, but who are you as an individual to tell another individual what to do with what's going on inside of them when that thing will never affect you? You're not carrying the pregnancy. It's not your child. You have no financial stake in this child. Right. Outside of being a a surrogate, that's a different set of circumstances. But you do not have the right to tell somebody what to do with something that's going on inside them. I don't get to tell you when you can go use the bathroom. I don't get to tell you when you get to go eat. I don't tell you what you can eat or drink. It's the same thing. You don't get to tell another woman what she can do with something that's going on inside of her when you don't know the circumstances. 
And that's just what it comes down to. So it's just a case of mind your own business. But there's just a certain group of people. I'm not pointing the elbows. (laughs) I think I've mentioned them before. Who like to just be in everyone else's business but their own. And then when it comes down to pointing the mirror at them, all of a sudden the rules are the rules are different. And I just I'll never understand that logic, but at the end of the day, it always roots back to some sort of misogyny, bigotry, sexism. Like, you know, it's all under the same guise of a certain religion. But again, it's an ism. It's an ism. It's all ism. Just remember that steeps. But that's just that's how I feel about it. And that's where I that's where I'll walk away from is just at the end of the day, it's not your business. It's not about you. And as women, we need to we need to be protected because with a bunch of men in power who can make decisions for us, all we have is each other. And so we need to really advocate for ourselves and advocate what we can do with our own bodies because men don't get told what to do. So why should we? I couldn't agree more there, babe. And honestly, I think that you're absolutely right. Let me put this on the record. Everybody is entitled to pleasure, right? So let's not make this a game where men can experience pleasure, but women can't. Another hot take I'm going to put on the record as we conclude this podcast is that I think getting an abortion a lot of times is selfless. Mm Because what you're doing is you're choosing to not bring a child in the world that would be financially insecure. If you know that you're not going to be able to support for them and they're going to grow up impoverished, you're going to the system, why put them in that? Why subject them to that? So I know it's it's a hot take. I know a lot of people will probably disagree with me. It'll probably end up on unpopular opinions at some point. But I'm just saying, like, let's be real with ourselves and let's stop trying to put children in bad situations all because we want to ban abortion i agree and the last thing i'll say is for all of you living here in the united states of america let's go ahead and pass the women's health protection act because that would be the only way that if roe v wade is overturned that we could codify it into the law and protect women's health care rights and human rights for decades to come I like it. Until the end of time. My uterus, my choice. Thanks for listening about Roe versus Wade. Check out the description of this episode for the resources we referenced on this topic. If this podcast is your cup of tea, then please subscribe for the latest freshly brewed content. As always, let your thirst for curiosity leave you feeling enlightened.